Hi, we're Auction Conservation, and this is the Shoe Room Sessions. Welcome to the Shoe Room Sessions. Our guest today is our amazing finance director, Ellie. Um, Hello. To start off, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and how you ended up at Oxygen Conservation? I'm Ellie Adams. I'm the finance director at Oxygen Conservation. My journey to to being there comes from um, a relocation to Devon, joining Oxygen House, which is really a unique company, completely involved in scaling solutions to climate change and becoming involved in its most recent um, investment into conservation. I've worked with you, Rich, for probably a year now um, on a virtually full-time basis and it's uh, an amazing new venture and it's great to be part of it. That's very kind. Um, so uh, I think it's fair to say I was pretty insistent on pushing you to do today's podcast. And uh, literally before the camera started, asking you if you'd rather jump off a bridge or do the podcast. And you kind of went in the middle with that. Yeah. So thank you for doing this. The reason I wanted to do that is um, for everyone out there, Ellie's one of the most inspirational people I've ever worked with from a leadership perspective. And when we have conversations like this, I just come away feeling cleverer as a result of learning things from you. And that's what I wanted to showcase today. So um, we need more inspirational people and leaders in the environment sector. And I'm so privileged that you've agreed to come and work with us and, and do this today. So that's some of the bits I want to explore and, and put on camera. Okay. Okay. Um, so take us back to the, to the um, sort of degree into career start. What did you do and how did that begin? I did geography at university. I've always loved geography. It was my favourite subject. I've always, I can remember being at primary school and having to do homework for the first time and watching a programme about Indigenous people of Papua New Guinea. And I can even visualise that homework. I loved it, every moment of it. Loved geography. But when I left university, I was ready, I felt ready to go into the, the world of work. But I realised that I had a big gap in um experience and understanding which is how business works and I realized that finance was one of the key aspects of that so I decided to become an accountant and the, the reason was not for the purpose of being an accountant but, but for the purpose of understanding business how how businesses make decisions how they look at things how they report things and I think I must have uh, somehow realized that that was something I needed to do so I started um, working in one of the big four accountancy practices and I, I loved it. The variety was huge. The people were great. Um, and I ended up staying for rather a long time. And that's how I came to do it. So I never lost the love of geography, but I was learning so much in the world of finance. Um, and I guess doing what a lot of people do is doing uh, things that interest you in your spare time. Yeah. But to be a only jobs, right? Where we're coming out of you. Jobs. And it was good. I was enjoying, I was learning, I was working with great people. I was based in London, which is a thriving, dynamic place to be in the early stages of your career. Um, but to now be able to do the two together is really, really uh, amazing. It's a great outcome. So I, I, if we go back to that point of leaving university, was it even possible that something environmental would have been an option? Did it even appear that there was a career path or a route there? 
I think I didn't know enough about it, but I think I felt ready for business. Hmm. That's the point I was at in my life then. I felt ready to sort of tackle something new and and move forward. So I, I, I don't think I uh, sort of consciously discounted it, but I think I was focused on this is the next stage for me and this is what I want to do. So I think that's slightly not answering the question, no, no, it, but it gives a bit of context. Well, I think when I when I came out of uni, I'd, I was sort of blind to the world of business. So mm-hmm. first person in my family to, to finish school, never mind uni, came out 2008, like the week of or the week after the financial crisis. And, and I had no idea how the world worked or business worked or economics. And it's really interesting how different people on our team talk about their, their gateways into their first careers and then have been able to bring their sort of career and, and personal interest to, together in that regard. One thing I really hope we can do is create those aspirational roles for people who are graduating now that go, I want a career in the business of the environment, and hopefully we can offer that. Um, so you mentioned the things that uh, were sort of the, the nature-based fun stuff outside of work. So during that first chapter of the career in, in finance, what were those adventures that you were managing to do at the same time? Um Travelling the world, going on holiday to far-flung corners of the world, visiting places, um, being able to just get up and go and camp because you wanted to for the evening. You're in that lovely period of no commitments, um, but you have enough money in your pocket to be able to to do these things. And so, so that was it. You know, we camped in Wales. I remember the journey... Um, out of London and every 15 minutes the temperature dropped one degree obviously it was a bank holiday so we should have known so camping out in the rain and the stars um, safari in Kenya absolutely loved that Um, scuba scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef that was part of our honeymoon first half in a swimming pool in Battersea second half Great Barrier Reef of the Padigals nice. uh, in um, Australia. So, yeah, just did really amazing things and, and just got out and about at weekends. You know, Richmond Park, um, visiting my now husband's family in Devon, um, farmers See, in Devon. I love that because it, you are right. It's, it's an evolution of form because those two bits of your life where you were grabbing every adventure and opportunity you could, the ability to do both of those at the same time now is is so great. Um, so let's talk about when, when you moved down to Devon. So uh, when was that? What was the catalyst for the change? And how, how has your life changed as a result of that move from Devon to Devon? So, so we moved um, about seven years ago. And the catalyst really was to get more balance in life. So we wanted to be able to be closer to the, um, the outdoors, closer to family, but still have enough good work and uh, live in a place where we would be able to thrive as a family. So with two um, young boys, we were really, really keen on being closer, particularly to um, areas where they could uh, cycle safely, swim, um, explore, and that's been great. So we we knew um, Devon very well because of family connections and ended up in Exeter um, and then more more latterly Exmouth, which has um, proven to be a really good move. So the difference it's made has been that ability to finish work at, at five o'clock and be on the beach at six o'clock, yeah. enjoying uh, sunny days when they happen. Um, walking the dog on the southwest coast path from your front door is a pretty special thing to be able to do. 
Yeah, if people out there are thinking of relocating to the southwest or anywhere more rural, do it. You'll 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 never regret it. Um, so six years at OH yes. prior to, to coming across to us. So um, I want you to rewind a little bit to when you first heard that OH were thinking about the oxygen conservation style move. Um, what what was your first thoughts when um, Matt or David or Mark whoever discussed we, we're going to think about the conservation side? Can you remember? I think my my first thoughts were um, around recognising, you know, it's really great that the importance, particularly on nature, um, biodiversity, is recognised. And and that, I think, is, is the first thing. So I wasn't surprised because that's, you know, that's part of the DNA of Oxygen, Oxygen House and the founders and the directors and the people that work there care about it what was really interesting was how do you make a business from this and that's the bit that I didn't know and I was keen to learn so from the very start just understanding how everything was going to um, come together into a business um, was really interesting and it's, it's been a heck of a journey of discovery over the last sort of year and a half um, other things that what have you learned about the environment or the conservation sector that surprised you since you've been more involved with OC I think that the thing which has surprised me is the real understanding of the critical importance it plays today where we all are in the world at this point of time. So there's knowing it's important and then there's really realising quite how bad things are and the, the critical yeah. nature of it. And that's, I think, the thing. I think we can all listen to the news, the data is there, the scientific, the science... Um, says that global warming is a problem and uh, biodiversity is a problem but they're very macro global problems so to actually sort of piece you know to travel from that big global problem to this is what it means on the ground and you know right down to it's the small parts about thinking about a particular hedgerow on a particular site is is really really I, good i love that 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 part I sometimes reel it the most when I realise it the most when we see Josh's photography. So we'll go from um, uh, every page of our presentations has a photo of the environment, and then we talk about the business of what we do because we want to showcase the environment. So um, breaking the fourth wall there, um, explaining the context, uh, and I think we'll we'll go amazing landscape, amazing landscape, picture of a butterfly or a bird or the the detail of it, and going from that m macro scale as you say to the to the absolute micro is is just magical seeing that that whole journey the other bit about the awareness of the environment i think that i hadn't anticipated would weigh as heavy as it does when we started to, to put together an amazing team everyone in our team understands what it means so do you remember we were talking to um potential external investors in london when there were all those wildfires and whilst the media was picking up on it there was that huge weight of emotion the team was feeling because we understood it was it was coming to fruition is that something you felt across the team? Yeah, absolutely. And a desire to, it's its a really, you know, we're in a privileged position. We can, you know, roll our sleeves up and get do going and yeah. do something about it. And I think that is what really makes us uh, different and to be in this amazing position. And we need to do something good with that, with the opportunity. Yeah. Um, so that segues on to, to natural capital. So in, in terms of, what we've seen going out and externally speaking to people, where do you feel the sort of 
and you can break this down to areas if you want, but where do you feel we are at the development of that natural capital economy? What are we seeing out there at the moment? I think the, um, I mean, first of all, like natural capital as an asset class, that's amazing. We need the investment. It has to be done at scale. We can't, um, we can't solve the problem without it. I think for uh, the financial community as and the sector as a whole, there isn't a track record. There aren't established ways of doing things. And it takes a lot of time to build that up. And we don't have a lot of time. So I think uh, being uh, gathering the momentum and allowing the industry to solve the problem in what will hope for, hopefully be a relatively short period of time um, is really encouraging, but I think it is difficult. It's a um, it's a multifaceted problem, and everybody needs to do their bit. Um, it can't be solved just by the financial sector, just by government, just by industry. Everybody needs to to work together. Mm -hmm. When when you're speaking, I was remembering. We've had such amazing conversations with lots of different people who have kindly approached us and said, we'd like to support you, we'd like to invest. Um, without us going out and trying to raise anything yet, all in internally funded as we speak, thank you for the support. Um, in, I remember that conversation where we went and spoke to a, a leading high street bank and we talked to them about the concept of natural capital and carbon. And do you remember we came out of that meeting in the lift, there was me, you, Chris and George. And they'd offered to create an entire set of financial products and services based around a, a carbon credit return. And that was one of my highlights of the last year. We were sitting that lift and everyone was silent because we were all like, that, that just happened, did we? And it felt like we go into these meetings, you're never quite sure where a person's going to be in their awareness or understanding of natural capital. And we'll sort of iterate along. And then there'll be a meeting like that that is a huge leap. And you're like, I didn't think we'd be there for ages. Um, it's coming, I think. It feels yeah, really exciting. It, that's it. Yeah, it's it coming. feels like it's coming. Yeah. And um, what we have with oxygen conservation is something to talk about, some way of engaging people and talking about what are the challenges, what are the opportunities, and how everyone can work together to overcome them. Yeah, but yeah, unlimited storage, right? Twenty-eight thousand acres, and every blade of grass, every area of the site, every photo has got a story or an anecdote or an experience with it in terms of how we're acquiring them. And because they're all spread across the country, each has got its own cast of unique characters and, and people at play, which is amazing. Um, what do you think is next? If we were sat here in, in 12 months, what do you think have, have changed in the sort of natural capital economy? What will have evolved? What will some sticking points still be maybe? Uh, I did prep Ellie for this question. I hate no, to add. So. It's a good question. In 12 months, I think 12 months is simultaneously. It's a long time for yeah. us, but not a long time if you're looking at um, moving things through a market yeah. or, or getting, getting traction. What would be really amazing would be if we had the start of investors um, putting forward their... Um, intent in, with regard to funding and a yeah. remit to go and find sites to work up the case studies the examples which will help build that market so it, it, there's to me a really huge milestone would be those catalysts to getting the market moving and then things beginning to coalesce in a way that work that that, that it works for investors because ultimately it has to work for investors for this to get traction in the finance community. Yeah. 
I'm really excited. I think in the next 12 months, we are going to see the world's first legitimate natural capital fund at scale, 250 million, big, big investment. What's really excited about that is if we can do that in the right way from institutional investors and pensions funds, then we can draw a line for a, a person who's starting their pension tomorrow, maybe, and say, your pension is helping protect and improve the environment and your retirement and your future existence on life and earth will be protected by your investment. And when we get that circle, I don't think, certainly in our generation and the next and the one after that, if you can do good with that, they're going to demand that we do good with that investment. It won't be enough just to not do bad. We've got to make a change in that regard. I think how the return is generated matters. It It matters to people. It matters to... And it's becoming... uh, And the regulation is is following that. It's recognising it. um, And it's not there yet where it needs to be. But everybody doing their bit will get there and there has to be some push from individuals some um push from government business and industry needs to to do their bit and and it's the only way that this we're going to get to where we need to be in terms of climate change and warming um in the time frame we've got everybody yeah. doing their bit there's um there's there's too much money doing bad we need to mobilize enough doing good to to counter it um, okay, so I'm going to take you from the sort of wider piece to the realities of day-to-day for you. So um, yeah. this may come as surprising to people, but I quite like a fast-paced organisation and we're very dynamic and changeable and all of you that have kindly come to, to work with us get that. What's the reality like of your role on a day-to-day basis? On a, on a day-to-day basis, it's it's always very different. But I think if you look at what finance does in, does in an organisation... The the numbers and the recording of what's going on and the financial position of the company needs to be right because decisions are made on it. We need to understand it. We need to know it. it's right. So part of the role is making sure we know what the numbers are and what they're saying. The other part is looking forward and saying, what's our strategy? What's our plan? Where are we going to be? And what is the impact of that in, in numbers? The numbers um, unlock the decision making. So I think uh, where we are looking at different strategies which have got different commercial impacts, different environmental impacts, the numbers help support and understand what impact that is going to have. What need what we need to do is develop those impact measures alongside it, but but it can't happen without the financial understanding. So on a day-to-day basis, looking forward, modelling the various scenarios um, and knowing that the numbers on which you're basing your information are right is is really um, interesting to get to that end position and be able to understand quite what influences different outcomes and how much money is needed and what you can do with what you've got is is a really interesting role. I, spot on. I, totally, that's my experience of, of the the bulk of what you would do on a a daily basis for us um the other bit i think is um what's great about our team is so many different people and backgrounds and experiences and stuff and you are amazing especially at the bits i don't love and enjoy so in terms of structure organization um I, i bristle at anything that might even look like bureaucracy because i want us to go faster and fly and you are amazing at going we can do that, Rich, but we also need to do this. Yeah. So I think the balance of certainly your your involvement and Georgia, head of legal, I just think give me absolute, and Dave from a head of operations perspective, give me absolute confidence that each of us within that triangle square 
can do what we do best and collectively as an organization we get to the to the better point yeah yeah i mean we've we've got to operate well and we've yeah. got to operate efficiently and effectively i think one of the learnings i've had in the last five or six years of my working career is when those things work it does enable the the dy yeah. dynamism i can't say that word no, you it does enable you to yeah. be dynamic it does enable you to move swiftly along your um your strategy and what you're trying to achieve yeah, it it's an enabler and i think i'm very much um aligned that nobody wants bureaucracy it's it's what do we need to do and how do we enable ourselves to do it really really well in a in a sporting context they always used to coach smooth is fast yeah. so and that's the same if you've got a business that's operating smoothly and uh and flowing it's quicker anyway and better anyway yeah. and you're not duplicating and things like that so um, that's one of the things i really valued of you bringing to to oc um uh two questions for me to go uh second to last one uh, someone coming out of uh, university now and thinking about a career in the environment sector or the financial sector, what advice would you give someone graduating today? I would. The advice I would give them is look for where you can learn. All of the little learnings that you get in any job add up. Yeah. And so you're as you as you're looking, you're think you know think not not does this get me to where I want to be? Because when you're starting out, you you have no idea of the range of different things exist, right when... no but you don't know them you don't have visibility so rather than thinking i'm i'm traveling from a to b and i need to get there as quickly as possible look for ways um look for stuff you're going to enjoy look for where you can learn because you will all of the learnings and the experience will help you progress and help you be a, a balanced uh professional in whatever industry you're in just keep looking look for good companies look for good roles look at good bosses that will let you learn and good teams yeah, yeah absolutely i think um the analogy i've been playing around with at the moment that careers in my experience um that you're not taking a lift between levels you've got to take the stairs because it's hard steps between in terms of the things you're learning and you don't make something make one or two big career jumps but you the ones that are successful have, have learned along the way as they're doing things. And um, you don't go at the same pace at every stage. No, You know, totally. it's, not, it, it's, it's not a straight line and it's, some bits go very quickly and some bits not so quickly and all of that is fine. You never know what you're learning when you're learning it. Every so often I'll catch myself going, oh. So I had the comedic collection of terrible summer jobs from steelworks to oil refineries and labouring on building sites and... The, the worst one was putting fences around a sewerage farm in the middle of summer. That was absolutely the worst. And me and a seven-foot Estonian chap unloading nappy boxes out the back of a lorry. He couldn't speak English, and he just went to me, you do the low ones, I'll do the high ones. And that was 12 hours a day, which was great. And every so often I'll look back and go, oh, I learned that in that environment. And until you apply it again, you don't you don't realise what you've learned. Um, Ellie, as, as expected, inspirational, amazing that you are. Final question we ask everyone is... What does scaling conservation mean to you? It means really feeling like you're making a difference. Really, to be in the position where you're scaling and you're doing, you know that, that you know the problem is huge. We're trying to solve a big problem and the only way we're going to make progress is to do stuff at scale. So I think to, to, have, to be part of that is exciting on a daily and weekly basis, but to to imagine ourselves at the end and to look back and say, 
look what we did. That was great. That legacy. I think that's um, a great position to be in. What a perfect way to finish. Thank you so much. That's the end of our shoot room session. Have a great Thank day. You.